This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. I came across this this week and I got to read it to you. I think it will be a blessing to every Seventh-day Adventist member of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. This is the blessing of the season that was on a website, an official website. Because, by the way, there's those churches who are officially of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and those who are not. But this is the official blessing of this season. This is what it says. At this time of the year, our hearts go back to God's greatest gift to us, Jesus Christ. Amen? Though we are not certain about the time of year Jesus was born, this is the season when much of the Christian world dwells on his first advent, when he came to earth as a baby. He came to experience life as we have to see it. He faced all of our struggles and conquered sin for us. Christmas is more than a time to remember a historic event. It is a time to claim the promise of victory. Jesus lived a victorious life for me. Amen? We can we can't claim his blessings and his 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 history and his life as our past. We can receive his strength through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to become more like him. May the blessing of Christmas transform your life. Amen. And that's the official blessing of 2015 of the Seventh Adventist Church of the North American Division leadership. So I thank God for the leadership of our church. Because they recognize that it's a time when everybody's thinking about this and we could actually go beyond the historic event to claim the blessing of victory in our lives. Amen? And so that's what we've been talking about. And I think if you, if you guys have a chance to set up the, the PowerPoint, do we have it on? I'm going to wrap up today in the, la- in the next few minutes together um, a series that we started, I think, um, on Revelation. And of course, we not only... We have not been able to go into a lot of detail, but I think it's been enough for us to understand the big themes of this horseman in chapter 6, and actually we began in chapter 4, chapter 5 in the last few weeks together. Um, And today I want to talk about the four horsemen and the gospel, because one thing you need to understand is the book of Revelation, if the book is, is effective in anything particular, Particularly, the book is effective in, let me see if, uh, there you go. If the book of Revelation is effective in anything, it's precisely the fact that it points us to the bigger picture of things. It thus tells us that behind the scenes, God is in control of the history of this world. Amen? And you need to understand that the people that were given Revelation originally, and I know we mentioned it before, it was people of God that were going through particularly difficult times in history. And it's the New Testament church, you know, letters to the seven churches in the New Testament in Asia Minor. And so they needed a real message that will speak to their needs, that will speak to the reality that they were facing. And so, again, Revelation not only speaks about history, you know, or prophecy through history, but it speaks to our needs. It speaks to the things that we are challenged with day by day. Amen? And so, again, beautiful, as, as you really understand the book of Revelation, I want you to not miss this. A lot of us want to get sidetracked in little details. But I want to tell you, if we miss the bigger picture, we're, we're missing the bigger blessing. Because some of these details actually don't have the meaning that we want to subscribe to it. 
And I mentioned to you this idea of the, the thunder, the seven thunders, of the voice of the seven thunders, that there's somebody, some lady writes a book about of 300 pages of the seven, of the voice of God in the seven thunders. And he actually, in the book of Revelation, he has no, no, no important meaning. The only thing that we could talk about that is, and I think I mentioned it to you last time too, that the voice, uh, the thunder as a voice, it refers to the voice of God. But it, some people want to get sidetracked in those little things and try to make a whole book and history and, and, and things on that. But I want to tell you, we need to really understand that the big picture is what's important. And the big picture in Revelation says that God is the one who's calling the shots. And he, Jesus is the one who's been given authority. We went over chapter 4 and 5 where we saw that in this chapter 4 and 5, quickly we mentioned it, that we see um, God recognizing that Jesus now has the authority. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the Lord receives the scroll and he breaks the seal. And, and, and we see the events that will take place. So we find that uh, the scroll is given and, and, and the next two chapters, chapter 6 particularly, speaks about allusions to the covenant and the blessings of God. And this is what we left up last time. We spoke quickly and we set up chapter 6. And today I just want to talk specifically, specifically about these four horsemen and how they apply, how they relate to the gospel. But we find that in Revelation 6, as we set this up a little bit further, there you go, images of chapter 5, and the throne, right? The scenes of the throne. But let's look quickly at the sequence that we find in chapters 4 through 7. Jesus on the throne promises his people the same privilege that he has in chapter 3, verse 21. And remember, chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? And right after that, he says that Jesus is sitting on his throne. And then he offers that those who will conquer, overcome with him, they will be also given the privilege to be sit or sought. They'll be sitting on his throne too with Jesus. And that's in chapter 3, verse 21. Then the Lamb overcomes and sits on the throne in chapter 5 and 6. And this is what we see in chapter 5 and 6 of Revelation. And then, but the church, it's not yet sitting on the throne of Christ in chapter 7 and 9. So that, I want you to follow the sequence. Because then, between, between these chapters, we find that the seven seals show us how the church overcomes. So listen, chapter 3 Jesus has promised his followers, the church of God, that when they overcome, they're going to be sitting on the throne of God, right? With him. Chapter 7 and 9 is, describes that the church, or, or, or actually the, uh, chapter 6 and 8, uh, 5, 6, tells us how Jesus overcomes. And in chapter 7 through 9, the church is not yet sitting with Jesus. So chapter 7 is precisely, again, how the church overcomes and, and shows the seals are how the church overcomes, okay? In, in between chapter 7 and chapter 5. So we have that is chapter 6, and this is where we are. Quickly, some guiding principles as, we, as you think of Revelation of this chapter that we are talking about. The seals tells us how the saints overcome just as Jesus over, overcame, amen? So the, chapter 6, the seals is telling the church how is it that through history the church is victorious and overcomes. Then the first four have to do, this is about the seals. The first four seals have to do with judgment upon God's people in order to win them back to obedience to the covenant. And the last three are judgments upon their oppressors. Now listen, we talked about the covenant last time. And we talked about that in chapter 6 we begin to see allusions to the covenants. And the horses are 
an allusion to the curses of the covenant. And remember, we talked about that if we are following Jesus, we, are, we, are, we enter into this contract, which the covenant is a contract between God and his people. And the contract says that God will be faithful to us. Amen? Right? Because a lot of people, when we think of the covenant, we think of, uh, you know, of, 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 uh, of the sins and, and, and the day of atonement. But actually, if we think of the covenant, we think, we, it offers us security because we know that God is going to be faithful to his word and to his promises. Amen? At the same time, when we enter this contract with God, and remember, if you claim Jesus Christ into his life, you accept the blood of Jesus Christ, you enter the covenant. And by the way, in the New Testament, every promise and every contract and every part of the covenant, now the covenant is extended to the New Testament people, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? So you and I are part of the church of God now today, who has been, expand, has been part of this expanding of the covenant in our lives. And this is why we are part of God's people in the last days. Amen? Because we accepted Jesus Christ, we accepted His blood, and we accepted His promises. And every promise that was given in the Old Testament is given to the church in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. And actually, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant. He's the one who fulfills the covenant. And because we are covered by Christ and by His righteousness, righteousness so you and I are under the covenant of Christ. Amen? So we are safe and secure in the covenant, in the covenant of God. Number three, we are following this, um, uh, well, no, that's, uh, this is chapter, um, let me just jump to the next one. And I want you to see the themes quickly. And then we'll jump right to it. Can you see that? Let me see, is that visible? Yeah, oh, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> all right, let me, the themes in chapter um, six. You will see that the number one white horse, let's, let's uh, uh, you know what, uh, let me hold it there. And, and I don't want to jump ahead with you guys, because one thing you need to understand is this. There is a movement of history, of, of God through history in Revelation. And you probably understand that. We talked about the church, that the four horsemen describe a movement in time. And the message of the churches describe, remember, the first church. Which, which is the first church that we find in chapter 3? Chapter 2 and chapter 3. Anybody remembers? Now we're going back a little bit. Chapter 2. The message to the church in Ephesus, right? The first church. Go back. Let's go back to chapter 2. The message to the church in Ephesus. Then we have the message to the church in Smyrna. And the message to the church in Pergamon. And the message to the church in Thyatira. Chapter 3, Sardis. And then Philadelphia. And then finally we have the other final church is the church of Laodicea. Now all these churches describe a movement of, the, of God's people through history. And we covered this a while back. But quickly I just want to tell you that in chapter 4 and 5 continue this, this movement of God through history. And so in chapter 5, 4 and 5, the lamb is slain, which points to the cross of Jesus Christ, right? After the church is founded. And then the ascension of God to heaven in chapter 5. And we find that in chapter 5, it points back to the Pentecost, which happens 50 days after the Passover. And this, the date for this, if you want to know the actual date in history, is the year 31 after Christ, A.D. 31. So, why do I mention that? Because the seals of chapter 6, and this is what we go to, come beyond the time of Pentecost. So, the seals and the seals, the seventh seal ends with the second coming of Christ. So, the seven seals, the one through six, speak about the church through history. Amen? So, you need to keep this in mind because the language that we find in the seals is the language of siege, we find the uh, words like sword and famine, disease and death. 
And all this comes from the Old Testament. And, and, and it all comes from the covenant too. From when someone is being sieged, when someone is being attacked, all this language reflects also in chapter 6 of the seals. In the New Testament, God is rebuilding Israel, listen to this, on a new basis of expanding His covenant. I just mentioned this to you to tell you that this is why the covenant language and of, of Revelation chapter 6, it's important for us to understand that it's referring to the blessings and the curses that come from Leviticus, actually Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can look at this at home. Uh, I'm going to refer to this quickly as we wrap up today in a summary session, but I'm just giving you all this for you to keep in mind. But the main reason that I want, I want to point this out to you is because these seals, the first four seals, remember they for the people of God. And they allude to the curses of the covenant. Because when the people of God are not being faithful to God, what happens? The, bless, the covenant says that if we don't follow God, what's going to follow in our lives? If we're not faithful to God, the curses of the covenant. Now, the curses are meant not only as punishment for us, but it's actually kind of a calling our attention to going back to faithfulness with God. So the purpose of these curses is to draw our attention back to God and to remind us, hey, listen, you're stepping out of line. You're not doing what you said you would do. You're not following my ways. So it's, the curses are God's ways to call the attention of his people back into fellowship with him. Amen? So you see, it's not just punishment. It's not just judgment. It's actually God's mercy and kindness as he calls our attention because when we don't follow God, and listen to this, if you follow Jesus, if you claim that you follow Jesus Christ, when your life and my life is not aligned to God's purposes, you better be sure that we will reap the curses of the covenant for the, the number one purpose. And listen to this. The number one purpose for the curses is to bring us back to that covenant, covenantal relationship with God. Can you say amen? So God, in, in, in Revelation chapter 6, He's calling His people back to Him. And He's remind, remem, reminding us of the covenant. But let's quickly tell you about these four horsemen. And then we'll go right to the summary as we wrap up this morning. I think, uh, I don't know if you remember, last time we'd say that the horsemen are actually symbolic. And just take my word for it, but some people claim that it's supposed to be literal. Just the reasons why it can't be literal is for this. Let me just give it to you quickly. The horsemen, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the language of Revelation is signified. You know, John has been given this letter to write it in symbols. So whenever it's not clear in the text... What it's supposed to mean, we, the default of Revelation is that if, if the text does not explain, if it's literal or if it's symbolic, by default we need to go back to symbolism. It, it signify. That's what the language of Revelation is. Chapter 1, verse 1. That's what the message has been given to John, to signify. Also, the horses are symbolic because chapter 4 and chapter 5 are also symbolic. It points to the greater reality of the universe, which is God and His throne. But it doesn't, it's, it's not the sanctuary here on earth. It's, it's a symbolism of the, of the heavenly sanctuary. And it points us to greatest reality. So it's symbolic. This, so in the same way, the horses, if it's in the context of symbolism, it cannot be literal. It has to be symbolic. And the bottom line is that if we take a sim, symbolic, the, four, the horses, then it begins to make sense. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. All right. The white horse. Chapter 6. Verse 1 and 2, I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a voice of thunder, what is it said? Come, 
looked and behold, uh, come, and then he says, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on, on it had a, uh, had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer, right? Quickly. This is, in fact, military language. We have language that has a spiritual implications. The word, the call that is given to the, to the message here, it says, come. That phrase, come. Every time in the gospel, in Revelations, when the word is come, it refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the call of the gospel is come, right? So the white horse, we have the symbolism of the white horse dressed in white, which represents, anybody knows what white represents in Revelation? Or the color white? Purity, right? Righteousness of Christ. Which again, and this also, he, the church is represented in this white horse. In this, this is white. All dressed, representing the people of God. So purity. He has also a crown. And by the way, this is not a crown of royal crown, but it's an Olympic gold medal type of crown that comes from having a spiritual victory. It's a race. It's, it's a symbolism of having a victory overcoming. And then he's been given the task, this horse, or, or, or the one who's riding the horse, to conquer and to overcome, right? To go out and conquer and overcome. And this refers to the cross of Jesus. And the believer of Christ who will be conquering because of the cross of Christ. So here we see that this is the first going of the gospel to the world. Where Christ, through his people, is making the appeal to the world. It says, come, right? To his people, expanding the covenant of God to the world. And the gospel of Jesus is going to the whole world. And by the way, it says that this, and, and listen to the last phrases, and he who sat in it had a crown, had a, a bow, and, and he was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. He, he went out with the gospel to conquer. But he was to what? To go out. By the way, this also speaks about the reality of the New Testament. That the gospel, if you were carrying the gospel of Christ, we're supposed to what? To go out. Jesus says what? Go and make disciples. So this idea of the gospel going into the world and the righteousness of Christ being over the church, over the people of God, it's represented in this white horse. So it's the first, the first time, the first period when the gospel begins to go. The red horse, chapter 6, 3 to 4, quickly. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another a red horse went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from earth, and that men will slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. So mind you, we talked about the gospel, the first white horse. Of course, what happens in the context of the gospel in the New Testament, you know that Jesus said when the gospel goes out, when people don't accept it, what happens? Rejection happens, right? And persecution of the church begins to happen. This is why the, ride, the red ride, or the red rider, the red horse, and it means also sacrifices and persecution of the church. And listen, if the gospel is not received and is rejected, so the world goes against the church, right? And this is the period that is described in the red horse, where now the gospel goes out in the first part of the century, but now persecution of the church begins. And this is what this red horse symbolizes. That there will be suffering, there will be martyrdom and persecution of the church when the gospel is not received. So if that's the second horse, let's talk quickly about the third horse. The first one, the second was called war and now this one was called. When the, he broke the third seal, 
I heard, verse 5 and 6, the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, what was the voice saying? A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So listen, quickly. And, and you, I know you're going to go back home and you're going to dig even deeper into this because I'm just kind of screaming through it, just giving you the significance of it. Because the black horse is the opposite. Black is opposite to what? To white, right? And you know that after a period of the gospel going out and persecution, then follows a time of darkness, the absence of the gospel of light in the world. Gospel, and, and the gospel is given here in terms of what? Of food. You see that it, talk, it speaks about what? speaks about grain and oil and wine, right? And it symbolizes the gospel because the gospel of salvation has been given in terms of feeding people. But you know, something interesting too that I, I just found out as, as I was doing research, uh, John Pauline points this out, that this actually was happening in the time of John. That a nearby city, in, in, in the nearby city of Smyrna, Ephesus, in that context, some, someone had decided that, that they needed to produce more wine than grain because wine was more expensive. And so in their context, they stopped producing the wheat and, and the grains. And so be, as a result of that, the grains became more expensive. And so wine was more readable, available, but it was, it, it, you know, it's, so the context of the reality of John, John points back to that and says that the symbolism here that we may understand the gospel and how the gospel is going to the world. Because when the black horse comes, so the black speaks about being scarce, not being available enough, right? Hold on, guys. I think, I, did we jump the gun there? Can we go back? Who, did you do that or did I do that? I haven't moved this thing. Can we go back? There you go. All right. I don't want them to, to, be, a, to be ahead of me. All right. So we're in the war. Um, so the black horse speaks about the absence of the gospel, the dark ages, right? When the gospel of Christ will not be available as readable as it was. There was a scarce of the availability of the food of the gospel. That's chapter 6, verse 5 through 6. So salvation is still available, but it says that this horse was not given the task, or this uh, rider is not given the task to go out. And he has this context of darkness, of the darkness of the Middle Age. Then how about the pale horse, 6, 7 through 8? We can read that together. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, this is the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, like ashes, right? And he who sat on it had a name, what was the name? Death. And Hades, Hades with, was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. By the way, this is a language from the covenant, because the curses of the covenant had all these elements there. Wild horse, you know, wild animals, and, and, and famine, and pestilence. And that's the consequence of not following God. Chapter 4, chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, we have that the color of this horse is pale, yellow ashes, and means death. His name is death, which speaks about spiritual realities too, right? The absence of the gospel. And the ideas that will bring, and you know that this, this, what follows in history of the history of the church and the world is that after the period of darkness, then 
then the, the ideas that will come with the enlightenment and all that, it actually threatens the gospel of Jesus Christ. And death and the new ideas and concepts that people come up with and scientists and now science is the strength and the ones who have the answers to everything. You know, but it's actually death. It's actually going away from understanding and accepting the gospel into our lives. Well, listen, now let's go quickly to this. And I think I'm going to have to go back. I, I'll see it better there. So why, why, why we get into this? And by the way, I know that you're going to have to go home and do some research on this. So the gospel, the white horse is spreading the good news of the gospel, right? Gospel goes to the, wor to the world. The red horse is the red horse speaks about wars and they kill each other. Famine, the black horse, right? Food measure, pestilence, pale horse, pestilence. And again, that's plagues, persecution. And then this is further on as we follow the seals. Souls under the altar of abomination. We won't have a time to go about those four, the rest, the other three. We talked about the first four, but not the last three. And then the final is the heavenly signs. Heavenly signs that point to the coming of the wicked morn, the wicked morn, and then the second coming of Jesus. This is the seventh seal we find. No wonder what we have this here. Jesus returns in the seventh seal. So all that cover up to when? Up to the second coming of Christ. And all this is... In that chapter 6, up to chapter 7. Actually, chapter 7 is the actual seven seal that's open. But why is all this important? And why is God trying to tell us through this, um, through the four horses? Listen, one thing that you and I need to understand about the gospel is this. That if you and I have accepted Jesus Christ into our lives, amen? I think most of us here have made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, right? And if you're not... You need to understand this, that there is still time for those of us who will venture and say, I want to claim the blessings of God, of Christ, and His covenant to my life. And if you make that contract, if you follow Jesus, then your life must reflect Jesus' light and His gospel in your life. Amen? And the moment that we go astray, the moment that we go away from Christ and His will, then the curses will come to us. This is the curses of the covenant. But it's with the intention of what? Of calling our attention back to Christ. Amen? And it's to tell, tell us what all God wants. And I think we covered this for so long here. That the number one thing that God wants is to have an intimate relationship with His creation. Amen? I mean, the, the scripture is full with... <coughs> different imagery, different messages through different ways and different stories and, the st and stories of people and the lives of people that point to the reality that what God wants is to have an experience, an intimate experience with His creation. And that's me and you. And so the moment that we step away from that covenant, from that contract, from that fellowship with Him, He's going to do all that is in His power to call our attention back to Him. Amen? Now, the reality is this, that we either, there's only two ways to react to that, right? You either accept the admonition and come back to Christ in His covenant and His relationship with Him, or you ignore His calling and His admonition to you. And that is what happens in, 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 in you know, the persecution and, and the other seals. Because the other, the other two seals are given, are the three seals that, are rest, that remain are given to the people that do not follow Christ, that decided to go on their own. And will not accept the opportunity of the gospel of Jesus Christ into their lives. I don't know if you see it, but I hope that you understand that at the center of all these signs and all this symbolism is the reality that there is a God that wants us to understand the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to die for me and you. That, the Son of, that God made himself 
flesh, right, in Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life, and now and he gave his life so that you and I may have perfect fellowship with God in our lives. And so today, we're still in time, amen, to accept the call to the gospel. And I don't know where you've been. I don't know, perhaps you're one of those that have, um, um, you know, gone away from your wave. You grew up in the church, and you found your way out, and now you feel that you're out of the relationship with Christ. Well, Jesus is coming. It's telling you again today, listen, there's time to come back to this relationship, to this covenant that I've, I've made with you for such a long time. And whatever signs you see in your life, whatever challenges you see, I want you to know all God is trying to say is, let's go back into a covenant. Let's go back into a relationship together. Follow me again in the way that you did. That's the message that we find in the churches. That's the message that we find in Revelation. And God is trying to call our attention to go back into an intimate relationship with him. 